This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. In the squadron, they called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Oh, man. Feels like a regular Monday. No big deal, right? I don't see the news going up, jumping up and down about anything. House GOP weighing strategies. City Council does this, that, and the other thing. Uh, still hassling Trump over a new special counsel. Speeds ahead on Trump criminal probes. Uh, same old, same old, same old. But we know the FBI just colluded with Twitter. To throw the 2020 election? We know that. We know it. It's absolutely been established. If you want to pick a fight with Elon Musk and Matt Taibbi and those guys, go right ahead. But you saw the receipts. Twitter, the most important medium in the world for politics, worked with the FBI to stop Trump. That is the ultimate scandal. I don't think we've had anything nearly as severe in this country that I can think of. I really, I'm at, I'm at a loss. I mean, and I'll talk about Watergate, why this doesn't come close. Watergate doesn't come close to what happened here. And everybody's just moving along with their business. Why? Because the mainstream media refuses, refuses to acknowledge this, refuses to acknowledge their own complicity. It's amazing. It is incredible. And also, it's a little bit scary because I know the truth. Um, you know the truth, perhaps. A few others out there. But um, I guess an audience on Twitter does, sort of. It's not moving the needle. No one's really talking about it. And we found out that the Federal Bureau of Investigation, corruptly, I believe, joined forces with a private company to stop Donald Trump. They met, they met weekly. They were in actually constant communication. And these FBI guys monitoring Twitter, looking for tweets that would help Biden and hurt Trump. You want to promote those? You wanted to get anything out there, off of there, that perhaps Trump thought was valid? Concerns about a stolen election? No, you can't say that. Why not? Why not? Mail-in voting is not secure. Anyway, the FBI picking on ordinary people who weren't under criminal investigation or federal indictment. Ordinary people. This guy, what's his name? John Basham, B-A-S-H-A-M. Just an ordinary guy. Yes, he's politically active in Texas. He posts a tweet raising questions about, hey, I think there's a big problem in Ohio with the vote count. I'm hearing there could be 2% error rate. The FBI gets involved in that. The FBI lets Twitter know about this tweet, and they want it off. Sir, yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
They are working so closely with uh, the FBI. They're all joking about it. They're bragging about it, bragging about how they are meeting with the FBI to get Trump. It's incredible. I mean, <laughs> uh, J. Edgar Hoover was the ghost of J. Edgar Hoover. How could we have expected something good from the FBI, actually, when you think about it? Federal Bureau of Investigation. Federal Bureau. What do we like about those things? Nothing. Well, what about the men and women in law enforcement? All right. This is a trick. This is a trick that the left has been working on for a very long time. Now it's coming all into fruition. You can't question the men and women in law enforcement. That would make you like, that would make you un-American. That would make you traitorous. People in law enforcement, people in uniform, military or otherwise, and ordinary civilians who work for the federal government are our public servants, our servants, if you will. They work for us. We don't work for them. It's totally fine to criticize them. And now we have a duty to get to the bottom of just how far this corruption goes. Now, there's a couple of other things going on here because so many people out there despise Trump because they've been infected with the mainstream media bias. There's so many people at Fox News, so many people at Democratic circles, of course, the swamp, media everywhere, that they're not pursuing this or they're paying it lip service. Now, the Sunday shows did not do it. Everybody's pretending what happened did not happen. Some exceptions, Fox News. Now, wait a second, just for a moment. Again, why why is this important? Why is Twitter such a big deal? Well, Twitter gets people elected. Twitter can actually topple a government. We saw that during the Arab Spring. Listen to the mainstream media swoon about how good Obama was at social media. That's how he was able to stop the Clinton machine. That's how he beat Mitt Romney. Cut 18, please. President Obama was the, the ringleader when it came to social media and engaging those young voters. Well, he's still the king. Obama, during the presidential campaign, uh, used social media very, very well. They raised a lot of money online. He is our first social media president. He's connected with the supporters on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. And now he's on Instagram. Ooh, now he's on Instagram. You know, part of that was, you know, because it's Obama, you know, everything he does is amazing. He really wasn't that good at social media. He was certainly better than Hillary Clinton. But he was okay, just like, you know, Barack Obama walks through the door. Oh, wow, did you see the way he did that? It's like Ralph Cramden when he comes walking in. Remember when that uh, Herbert J. Whiteside is coming to town? Mr. Cramden, I've never seen a man fill a room like that. Would you do that one more time? They were just trying to con him. Anyway, these people are genuinely impressed by Obama. Uh, so he was above average at social media. You know who sucked at it? Hillary Clinton. She could never get her hands around social media. I understand that, by the way. It's a pain in the neck, but it is what it is. And if you're in politics or any other profession where it's important that you get your message out, you got to embrace it. She never did. Cut 19. There's just so much meanness in the world, and there's so much one-upsmanship on social media. Yeah, she's right. She's right. But she never got good at it, and she paid a big price. But Trump, of course, was a master at it. He recognized its potential early on. And uh, here he is speaking rather plainly about, you know, its appeal and how it works for him. This is in the one of the debates in 2016. Cut 20. Tweeting happens to be a modern day form of communication. I mean, you can like it or not like it. I have between Facebook and Twitter, I have almost 25 million people. It's a very effective way of communication. Okay, you see, he embraced it and he was fantastic at it. 
and it drove the left crazy. And one of the things, one of the many things they did to get Trump, you know, they were out to sabotage him. Once he won that election fair and square, they tried to sabotage him. You know, the impeachment effort started even before he became president. And they said, we have got to take this medium away from him that he is so good at. He's better at us at it. So we have to take him out. And they did. But before they actually permanently kicked him off of Twitter, they were working to reduce his visibility, giving him and working with the FBI, the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, talking to these punks at Twitter. And they are punks, by the way, absolute punks. And they have too much power and we can't allow this to happen anymore. Look, at the, look, we're going to we're going to give or allow Jack Dorsey. Have you ever seen that guy? He looks like a monk. Nothing wrong with being, well, if you want to be a monk, that's great, but you shouldn't be running the most important media platform in the world as far as politics go. And I think lying comes very easy to him. We all know about shadow banning now. We've seen the receipts. Cut 21, please. This is Jack Dorsey lying. I want to read a few quotes about Twitter's practices, and I just want you to tell me if they're true or not. Uh, Social media is being rigged to censor conservatives. Is that true of Twitter? No. Twitter shadow banning prominent Republicans. Bad. Is that true? No. Does Twitter censor the content of its users? Does it hide what it would consider inflammatory comments, whether they be social or political? Absolutely not. The president called you out for shadow banning. What is the truth around that idea? But the real question behind the question is, are we doing something according to political ideology or viewpoints and we are not period we do not look at content with regards to political viewpoint or ideology we look at behavior well that's a great big fat liar or he totally checked out of his own company i think he's a great big fat liar why would these guys there's no integrity test to become uh, the head of twitter he had a good idea an invention and um, there he is lying pretty easily. But this is so much bigger to, than him. I've I've seen some guys out there writing, oh, Jack Dorsey could be in trouble at perjury. Well, maybe he is, and that's fine. Go get him. But this is far more important than uh, Jack Dorsey not telling the truth, some uh, uh, hipster weirdo. we got a problem here with the Federal Bureau of Investigation working as a political action committee to throw elections to Democrats. You know, isn't there enough other serious stuff for them to be looking into? Terrorism plots, child pornography, I mean, real stuff that threatens real people. And they're looking at John Basham, some guy from Tippecanoe, wherever. Oh, he's tweeting things that we find objectionable. Okay, yes, so we'll get those off the Twitter right away for you, Mr. FBI agent. This crap happened. (laughs) I just, let's just take a look at this. Oh, I've, yeah, no, no one's, no one. It's just business as usual. Business as usual. However, there's something else going on right now. It just started. Business. This is a gateway to the truth, everybody. There are some brave people out there, led by Elon Musk, Matt Taibbi, and Barry Weiss. Barry Weiss wrote for the New York Times, and she just took to Twitter moments ago. And this is kind of exciting. It's uh, Although it's also kind of annoying. I'll get to why it's annoying in a moment, but um, let's go. This this is happening right now on Twitter. Thread, the Twitter files, part five, the removal of Trump from Twitter. 
One, on the morning of January 8th, President Donald Trump, with one remaining strike before being at risk of permanent suspension from Twitter, tweets twice. 6.46 a.m. The 75 million great American patriots who voted for me, America first, and make America great again, will have a giant voice long into the future. They will not be disrespected or treated unfairly in any way, shape, or form. All right, there we go. Good tweet. Now, what what happens? 7.44, Barry Weiss uh, relays this tweet from Trump. Uh, To all those who have asked, I will not be going to the inauguration on January 20th. Uh, the fourth tweet. This is annoying, by the way. They put this big information out in the form of tweets. I like tweets, but if you got a big story to tell, you don't tell it on Twitter. You tell one little story. You tell you make one point, and then two hours later, you make it. You might make the same point. You may make it a different way. You may talk about something totally different. But this one after the next, after the next, after the next does not work. I've been telling these guys, I consider them friends. This is not working. You should be on live television right now. I think all the cable networks would have to tune in if, uh, let's see, the richest man in the world decided that he had something to say about the FBI and he wanted to do it on live television. He was holding a press conference at Twitter headquarters. That would be, I mean, that would be more interesting than, uh, what, what are they doing? Uh, music education program helps formerly incarcerated men. Oh, fantastic. That's what's on New York One right now. For years, Twitter had resisted calls, both internal and external, to ban Trump on the grounds that blocking a world leader from the platform or removing their controversial tweets would hide important information that people should be able to see and debate. Our mission is to provide a forum that enables people to be informed and to engage their leaders directly, the company wrote in 2019. Twitter's aim was to protect the public's right to hear from their leaders and hold them to account. Barry Weiss, New York Times, formerly New York Times, now a friend of Elon Musk, who's revealing inner communications at Twitter, thanks to her friend Elon Musk, continues uh, six minutes ago. But after January 6th, as Matt Taibbi and uh, Dr. Schellenberger have documented, pressure grew both inside and outside of Twitter to ban Trump. Seven, there were dissenters inside of Twitter. Maybe because I am from China, said one employee on January 7th. I deeply understand how censorship can destroy the public conversation. <coughs> I'm sorry, but they're making it too much about Twitter and their company. It's more about whatever. This is important, and it's not for me to quibble about how they're doing it. I just think it should be on all the networks live right now. But it is important. I'll continue. Remember, right now, it has been revealed the biggest political scandal in American history. I know it doesn't seem like that because the water is has not been made hot. Everyone's just kind of going along with it. But this can't happen. This can't happen in play. They can't get away with this. Give me a moment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know, one day I hope I'm the boss of a company. 
And if they come to me with a great big petition, we think this company should do this, I'll fire them all. <laughs> I'll give them a warning. I'll give them a warning. Really? Well, if you want to, uh, if you want to act out your vision, uh, by all means, go ahead and do that. Go ahead and create your own company, and then you can, um, you know, fulfill your vision. Uh, but this is my vision. This is my company, and we're doing it this way. Every time these uh, these the, the employees band together, they get way too much uh, attention and credit, in my opinion. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, I actually am a uh, what do you call it? I mean, I'm I'm a respectful of authority. I was a Marine, you know. I mean, I can I think it's appropriate and encouraged. You got to say, uh, you know, sir, I think this is a bad idea, and here's why. I think we could do it better. But when they say, nope, we're doing it this way, you know, okay, sir, sir, yes, sir. And uh, if you want if that that can't hack that you can go work somewhere else anyway uh, why do i bring that up because the twitter people were so upset 99 percent of them are democrats i mean that's documented they were all giving money to uh joe biden people like that all right back to this this is a kind of fascinating the big 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 piece of news that came out friday night we have it confirmed that the fbi we have it doubly confirmed but the fbi was colluding with twitter to hurt donald trump and to help joe biden the Federal Bureau of Investigation, they had no business doing that. They, it's so outside their scope. It is so corrupt. Uh, the swamp, the swamp was opposed. And who's more powerful in the swamp? The FBI is pretty damn powerful, don't you think? A lot more than the Department of the Interior, although the Interior wanted them gone. All these bureaucrats. Find me where the FBI exists in the Constitution, by the way. I'm not saying it's not constitutional because it was established with legislation, blah, 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 blah. But it's so far adrift from what our founding fathers actually had in mind when they founded America. All right, so uh, January 6th rolls around. Everybody who works at Twitter is really upset. They're demanding that management kick Trump off of Twitter. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. In the early afternoon, this is Barry Weiss, who's live tweeting right now. She's right next to Elon Musk. This is basically Elon Musk gave her all these documents, and he said, report it. In the early afternoon of January 8th, the Washington Post published an open letter signed by over 300 employees of Twitter to CEO Jack Dorsey demanding Twitter's ban. We must examine Twitter's complicity in what President-elect Biden has rightly termed an insurrection. Get back to work, you dweebs. Every single one of you. You are so far so far outside your lane. You don't know what you're talking about. Just because you uh, know how to code doesn't mean you know anything about election law, Okay. Uh, The Twitter staff assigned to evaluate tweets quickly concluded that Trump had not violated Twitter's policies. I think we have a hard time saying this is incitement, wrote one staffer. You see, there are people inside Twitter who are like, excuse me, uh, I know what the mob here is saying, uh, but he has not broken our policies. Somebody else pointed out, a, a worker at Twitter who actually grew up in China, if we get rid of Trump, we're just like the Chinese censoring our enemies. I want no part of that. Neither do I, anonymous Twitter employee, but it happened. Give me a moment. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. All right, quick recap. You may not think Twitter's important. You're wrong. Twitter is the most important political medium in the world. Donald Trump was a master at it. And when he... One in 2016, it was one of the many things they had to do. Take his Twitter away and reduce his presence on Twitter Twitter, uh, so he doesn't win again. Uh, And they had the FBI's help. How do we know all this stuff? Well, 
some of it we kind of knew on a gut level, but now we're seeing what they say are the receipts, okay, the receipts. We're seeing the documentation. Why do we have the documentation at this point? Because Elon Musk bought Twitter. He owns it. He's one of us. He believes in free speech. You know, even if you don't like your opponent, your opponent is allowed to say stuff, and that's okay. So we love Elon Musk, and he's working with some uh, fantastic journalists, Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss and a couple of others, and they're going through all of Twitter's documents and uh, emails, and they're putting it out to the world. Now, the biggest news for me so far is that Twitter was colluding, working with the FBI, and the FBI was saying, we don't like this tweet, and Twitter would say, we're going to get rid of it because the tweet – perhaps helps Donald Trump and hurts Joe Biden or highlights the laptop and the FBI didn't want the laptop discussed. Things like that, granular, really small things that had a huge impact. All right, so back to where we are, right? That's the big news. Now we're going Barry Weiss tweeting right now. As much as Twitter was a liberal bastion, uh, there were a few people inside who were ethical and said, uh, we have no right to ban Donald Trump. Uh, this is what she's quoting an email here. Barry Weiss, former New York Times reporter who's live on Twitter right now, is quoting an email that says as follows. I am not seeing a clear or coded incitement in the Donald John Trump tweet, wrote Annika Navaroli, a Twitter policy official. I'll respond in the elections channel and say that our team has assessed and found no violations for the DJT one. Some people in Twitter are saying, you know what, we may not like him, but there's no reason to kick him off the platform. Remember, they always, they already screwed him, by the way. They totally screwed him during the campaign. Uh, <clears throat> 16, she does just that. As an FYI, safety has assessed the DJT tweet above and determined that there is no violation of our policies at this time. 17, later, Navaroli would testify to the House January 6th committee for months, I had been begging and anticipating and attempting to raise the reality that if nothing, if we made no intervention into what I saw occurring, people were going to die. Sounds like she's changed her tune somewhat. Hmm? Next, Twitter's safety team decides that Trump's 7.44 a.m. tweet is also not in violation. They are unequivocal. It's a clear no vio, short for violation, no violation. It's just to say he's not attending the, the inauguration. Yeah, the tweet said, I just a heads up, I'm not going to the inauguration. Next from Barry Weiss. To understand Twitter's decision to ban Trump, we must consider how Twitter deals with other heads of state and political leaders, including in Iran, Nigeria, and Ethiopia. I know Iran's got some bad people in charge. Nigeria and Ethiopia, I'm not sure. Let's see what happens next. This is happening right now live on Twitter. It's kind of actually exciting in its own way. Uh, Barry Weiss, newly independent, doesn't work at the New York Times anymore, tweeting right now by Elon Musk's side, the owner of Twitter and a champion of free speech. Barry Weiss, thread number 20. In June of 2018, Iran's Ayatollah Ali Khamenei tweeted, Israel is a malignant cancerous tumor in the West Asian region that has to be removed and eradicated. It is possible and it will happen. Twitter neither deleted the tweet nor banned the Ayatollah. Wow. Wow. Damn. You know, I knew there was anti-Semitism in the world. 
what they did to the Ayatollah Khamenei can call for the eradication of Israel. And oh, by the way, he's working on the capacity to eradicate Israel. This is a real threat. He's, he's tweeting away. I guess all the the techies are all cool with this, huh? Cut 21. In October 2020, the former Malaysian, Malaysian, Malaysia, Malaysian, Malaysia. You ever been to Malaysia? Neither have I. Uh, Prime Minister said it was a right for Muslims to kill millions of French people. Wow. Twitter deleted his tweet for glorifying violence, but he remains on the platform. The tweet was taken down. Was The tweet below was taken from the Wayback Machine. So you can, even when these tweets are deleted, you can find them. Uh, who knew the head of Malaysia was such an idiot? Dr. Mahathir Mohammed. Muslims have a right to be angry and to kill millions of French people for the massacres of the past. Ay, 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 ay. This guy can still tweet. Dr. Mohammed can still tweet. Trump can't. Ooh, 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 how dare they. Let me see here. Uh, 2021, and that's where it stands right now. Oh, 22. Mohammed Buhari, the president of Nigeria, incited violence against pro-Biafra groups. Those of us in the fields for 30 months who went through the war, he wrote, will treat them in the language they understand. Twitter deleted the tweet but did not ban Buhari. 23. In October of 2021, Twitter allowed Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed to call on citizens to take up arms against the Tigray religion. Twitter allowed the tweet to remain up and did not ban the prime minister. Damn. It's all in uh, another language. I can't tell. I can't read it myself. 24. In early February 2021, President, I'm sorry, Prime Minister Narinda Modi's government threatened to arrest Twitter employees in India and to incarcerate them for up to seven years after they restored hundreds of accounts that had been critical of him. Twitter did not ban Modi. How about that one, huh? This is get fascinating. Cut 25 here. Twitter executives did ban Trump, even though key staffers said that Trump had not incited violence, not even in a coded way. You know, after uh, two years of January 6th BS hearings and Adam Kinzinger wetting his pants and all that crap, it really is good to see it in black and white, <laughs> you know, from smart people who know better and are not going to try to fool everybody. In 26, less than 90 minutes after Twitter employees had determined that Trump's tweets were not in violation of Twitter policy, Vyaja Gadi, Twitter's head of legal policy and trust, asked whether it could, in fact, be coded incitement to further violence. They're really looking, they're really, well, they're really stretching it here, huh? Let's see here. Oh, and again, 27. A few minutes later, Twitter employees on the scaled enforcement team suggest that Trump's tweet may have violated Twitter's glorification of violence policy if you interpreted the phrase American patriots to refer to rioters. American patriots refers to American patriots. And that's where it is right now. Exciting stuff. Donald Trump, by the way, we all know. We've seen it. People, this is uh, what Orwell was talking about. People are lying, just saying one thing, and the the truth, the evidence 
shows that's the real way and they're all ignoring it or pretending their reality is real. It's just so bizarre. Donald Trump stood up. You heard him. We're going to march peacefully and patriotically. He didn't know that Nancy Pelosi was going to leave the door open and that cops were going to wave people inside. He didn't know that. I have one. I know this rhino. Nice guy, but a total rhino. He's trying to tell me that, well, Greg, um, you know, Donald Trump, he had an obligation. Once he saw that, I said, wait a second, first of all, how do you know Donald Trump was watching TV? We don't know that. And even if he was, I showed him CNN, Fox, MSNBC. It looked totally fine on January 6th. Just a bunch of people milling around outside. We did not see the, 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 the heinous stuff until later. You know, the guy in the Senate, the horns guy and all that stuff. And this guy tells me, uh, Greg, actually, um, there were there was a fist fight in the in the basement of the Capitol, and that was on TV. I saw it. I saw it on January sixth. So what? The president of the United States is now a security guard. Oh, there's a fight in the Capitol. I better get on the phone and talk to uh, Secretary of Defense about that. Ludicrous, right? Hmm, let's see if she's got another one up there. She's slowing down. Oh, I just think it would be so much better instead of doing this on Twitter. And, you know, Twitter is still a very biased platform. These tweets should be going through the roof, totally crazy viral, and they're not. They're not. They're just sitting there. They're just sitting there. Oh, this is what can I do? How can I help? Maybe I'll stage my own press conference and just read all these things. I don't know. Somebody, Elon Musk, is his people are failing him right now. Elon Musk is a good guy. Why don't they advise him to go to a microphone right outside? Hell, everybody stops for an update from the damn police chief in Moscow, Idaho, who, by the way, should probably uh, call it quits, don't you think? <laughs> I, I, this should be, and it's not. I'm looking out the window and everybody's oblivious. And of course, I see even you guys, the callers, you guys don't even want to talk about this. Sandra, don't you understand how important this is? Oh, I do. It's very understandable. Um, I was just talking to, I, I wanted to say a couple of things. Welcome back. I wanted to say God works in mysterious and miraculous ways, bringing Elon trust to us to help Donald Trump. Because everything Donald said, he's proving to be true. But I wanted to say today about Paul Whalen and um, and Brittany. Uh, she had very nice conditions in the in the uh, prison. I didn't know that. I was visualizing deplorable conditions. Quite the opposite. I was pleasantly surprised that she was in a nice setup over there, cafeteria, two roommates. But Paul Whalen, I don't think he has that set up and uh, having a hernia uh, operation. Oh, my word. So, Listen, uh, I want that guy yeah. back. This whole thing was a scam. Me too. Uh, Brittany oh, Griner. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I don't want Br- Brittany Griner. I, you heard me. I was yelling on the radio. I want her home as well. Although she did go over there even after they warned her not to go. Did you know that? They, they, they've uh, they've uh, de-emphasized that. Late January, the State Department comes out and says, don't go to Moscow. Don't go to Russia. They're about to go to war with Ukraine. What does she do? 
She takes a big hit of that bong and goes to the freaking airport. Causes all this trouble. All this trouble. All right. But listen, hey, thanks. Barry Weiss is at Twitter again. I got to go back to it. Thank you, Sandra. Uh, Let's see here. February 21. Oh, gosh, I just Uh, Twitter executives did ban Trump, even though key staffers said that Trump had not incited violence. Uh, Less than 90 minutes later, after Trump employees had determined that Trump's tweets were not in violation. Yeah, she says, let's can we figure out a way? Oh, shoot. I thought there were more. Uh, No, we're still in a hole. Are we still in a holding pattern? Come on. I want this stuff. I want it now. Oh, well, sorry about that. What a pain in the... Oh, here we go. Sorry, everybody. This is... What is what is what does Mark say? This is live and local. <laughs> okay. Um, things escalate from here. So right now there's a bit of an impasse inside Twitter. Uh, you got all the liberal woke jerks who want him gone. Then you have the ethical ones who are saying uh, Trump did not violate any terms here. By the way, the bigger story came out Friday that the FBI was working with Twitter to uh, conceal the Hunter Biden laptop uh, to conceal or to reduce any legitimate concerns about the fairness of the election and do whatever they could to harm Trump. All right. Things escalate from here. Members of uh, that team came to view him as the leader of a terrorist group responsible for violence, deaths comparable to Christchurch shooter or Hitler. And on that basis and on the totality of his tweets, he should be deplatformed. Uh Two hours later, Twitter executives host a 30-minute all-staff meeting. Those are always a mistake, by the way. Always. Jack Dorsey and Viajay Gotti answer staff questions as to why Trump wasn't banned yet, but they make some employees angrier. Hmm. 30. Multiple tweets. Tweeps. Actually, tweeps. Tweeps with a P. Tweeps. That's a Twitter employee. A tweep. How about a twerp? have quoted the banality of evil, suggesting that people implementing our policies are like Nazis following orders, relays Yoel Roth to a colleague. Give me a break. Dorsey requested simpler language to explain Trump's suspension. (laughs) Roth wrote, God help us. This makes me think he wants to share it publicly. One hour later, Twitter announces Trump's permanent suspension due to the risk of Further incitement of violence. Further incitement of violence. Is that where we are right now? That's where we are. Again, obviously, they had no justification, but they're violating not laws, but they're violating rules, their own silly rules. And obviously, they're unfair to Trump. I feel like um, this company, big tech, the Internet, Facebook, Twitter, all this stuff, it's too important to trust it to these woke idiots. It's just too important. It's too big. Um, they have shown themselves not to be worthy of this massive responsibility, not to be worthy or capable of, of carrying it out, of having it, of holding it. It's like imagine if Orville, Orville and Wilbur Wright, do you know what they wanted to do, the Wright brothers, after they successfully flew the plane? You know the first thing they wanted to do? Sell it to the government. They wanted to sell planes to the government. What if these guys, you know, they invent the plane and they only want their woke friends, people they agree with politically, to be able to fly in it? It's kind of like it's it's kind of the same thing. It's too big for them. We got to take it from them. 
legally and peacefully. Don't don't worry, anybody. Don't worry. But uh, all right, I'm up. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Risk of further incitement of violence. What a crock. Uh, let's see here. Many at Twitter were ecstatic. Team DJT is suspended. OMG, exclamation point. OMG, OMG, OMFG. Well, this feels like a piece of history. It is. Saw the message. Thank you, everyone, for your impactful work this week, for the discussion and for drafting all these complex assessments. I am very proud to work and learn from you every day. Wishing you a good weekend. These twerps, these these tweeps, twerps, they get to decide. They get to decide that the president can speak on the Internet, essentially. The president, the freaking president of the United States. It's up to Jack and uh, Sanjay and uh, Willie and Yoel and Alice, all these people. And congratulatory, big props to whoever in trust and safety is sitting there whack-a-moling these Trump accounts. Whack-a-moling these. By the next day, employees expressed eagerness to tackle medical misinformation as soon as possible. For the longest time, Twitter's stance was that we aren't the arbiter of truth, wrote one employee, which I respected but never gave me a warm and fuzzy. Well, it doesn't give me a warm and fuzzy that some tech head is going to tell me about my health and my child and whether or not they should be exposed to some idiot in uh, women's clothes, a man in women's clothes who wants to read to them in the first grade. That's, uh, I don't like that. But you, you say that's the truth. You say that's the truth. Let's see here. What else? Uh, Barry Weiss, uh, Twitter's COO. Who's that? The chief operating officer, Parag Agrawal. I think they fired him, right? He didn't fit in for some reason who would later succeed Dorsey as CEO, told head of security Mudge Zatko, these names, I think a few of us should brainstorm the ripple effects of Trump's ban. Agrawal added, centralized content moderation, in my opinion, has reached a breaking point now. Well, Agrawal, you were on to something, kind of, a little late. Outside the United States, Twitter's decision to ban Trump raised alarms, including with French President Emmanuel Macron, German President, uh, Prime Minister uh, Angela Merkel, and Mexico's President André Manuel López Obrador. 39. Macron told an audience he didn't want to live in a democracy where the key decisions were made by private players. I want it to be decided by a law voted by your representative or by regulation, governance, democratically discussed and approved by democratic leaders. Merci beaucoup, Emmanuel. Uh, Merkel's spokesman called Twitter's decision to ban Trump from its platform problematic and added that the freedom of opinion is of elementary significance. Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny criticized the ban as an unacceptable act of censorship. Well, <laughs> you never know where your friends are going to turn up. You know what I mean? You never know. You never You can... Wild, 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 wild. All right, there's more of this thing. It's live and it's breaking. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, who watched that silly Harry and Meghan? Harry met Meghan. Harry meets Meghan thing on Netflix. Oh, boy, is it bad. Is it bad? And I can tell you right now that Harry and Meghan, look, 
their children involved. And I want everybody to live happily ever after. But uh, I think Harry's going to have to ditch Megan at some point. Yikes. I saw it right there. Right there. She makes this ludicrous uh, reenactment of meeting the queen. I'll get back to the Twitter stuff. It's extremely important, the FBI stuff. Quick break from that. Now, Meghan Markle in the documentary. Do you think this really happened? Is this how she uh, she makes a big spectacle out of herself? She reenacts um, meeting the queen and, like, bends. You know, how you're supposed to curtsy. Well, just listen to this. Cut 30. Americans will understand this. We have medieval times, dinner and tournament. It was like that. Like, I curtsied as hey, though stop I was for like... a second. What does that mean? Americans will understand this. Amer- you mean we can't understand the idea of a curtsy? We have no idea about uh, our, our entire view of royalty is shaped by medieval times. What? I've been to medieval times. It's fine. A lot of fun. Dinner and tournament. But don't. Uh, she's trying. She's being weird. Dinner and tournament. They don't say it like that, first of all. Medieval times. It's become like this thing to bash the left. They love to make fun of medieval times. It's for kids, for crying out loud. It's for kids. Horses and food. You got to do something with the kids. Oh, boy, do I know that now. <laughs> I wish they could sit around and watch DVDs with me all day longer. But, no, they can't do that. They they need activity. They need to go out. All right. Then let me hear the rest of that, please. Cut 30. Tournament. It was like that. Like, I curtsied as though I was like. She's bowing all the way down to the ground, and Harry is looking at her like she's an idiot. <laughs> Pleasure to meet you, Your Majesty. Like, was that okay? I, it's just—it's so disrespectful. I, Harry, Harry is a loser. I'm sorry, Harry is the worst. I think all of this—he was traumatized when they called him, they bullied him as a racist because he wore a Nazi shirt. You know, I could see you could atone for wearing that. I mean, I think you could come back, and I think you can, you know. Forgiveness is good and all that stuff, and of course, and you can learn and grow, and I'm sure he did. But now he's going around the world wagging his finger at everybody, saying, oh, you're a racist, you're a racist, and you have to work and become an anti-racist. It's one thing to not be racist and to not like racism, but to be an anti-racist is a whole other weird thing, and you've got to, like, apologize for being white. Hey, you know, I'm wondering when the other conversation is going to start. Because the conversation we're having about race in America is so stupid, so superficial, so nonsensical. We don't want to talk about the real issues that could actually help people, right? Barack Obama just didn't want to break a sweat. He didn't. He does. He never wants to not look totally cool. So he's not going to go there. But the responsibility of black fathers and all that stuff, right? Not leaving home, staying away from drugs. You know, we put all this. Uh, we dump so many problems on teachers. By the way. How about the freaking students not doing homework, acting out in class, terrorizing teachers, terrorizing other students? That stuff happens. Well, but if only these schools had more money. Nah. Uh, Abe Lincoln, did he even go to school? Didn't he learn in a dirt log cabin somewhere? One-room schoolhouse at best? These places didn't have uh, PowerPoint. Money. I don't think it takes that much money, actually. I think it takes a hell of a lot of uh, commitment, discipline, things that money can't necessarily buy. Uh, where the hell was I going with that? Uh, oh, uh, Harry. Oh, the part about race. When are we going to start talking about this component of it? 
because, I mean, I don't like it. I really do wish that everybody lived up to Martin Luther King's ideal, not about the color of the skin, but the content of the character, right? But when it comes to um, people of color and white people, the, the way the, the liberals have the dividing line, it's white people, which is like the lowest thing you can be, and people of color, which is the most beautiful thing you can be. But there are different shades, aren't there? And there's apparently, from what I'm told, a fair amount of friction in communities of color in terms of what color you are or how dark you are, how light you are. Hmm? Or whether you're Hispanic or black and Asian, you're all people of color, and that's great. I get right? I mean, uh, but... There's a lot of friction there that's not being addressed. They fought a civil war over there in Rwanda, by the way. The Hutus and the Tutsis, for whatever reason, it was race-based. It was shade-based. You can look it up. Oprah Winfrey was traumatized as a kid. Uh, I think her mom was a maid or something in in the, the house where she worked. They discriminated against her. Because she was, she had very dark skin, the mom, as opposed to the place where she worked. They were black, but they were light-skinned. This was a major moment in Oprah's life. It happens. It's, a, it's, it's, it's more complex. It's actually simpler and more complex than we're acknowledging, quite frankly. Okay. Did Barry Weiss go back on the Twitter yet at this point? Okay. Hey, good for the European... Uh, Leaders, people like Emmanuel Macron. I bust his chops all the time, but he's good on this. Trump gets kicked off of Twitter, and he's like, hello, (laughs) this is not democratic. Angela Merkel doesn't like it. She says there's a big problem with it. All right, let me just see. Is there anything? Let's refresh. This is the worst way to get information out, by the way, on a Twitter feed. It would be, and the reason why no one's really criticizing it is because very few people are watching this. Very few people are watching it. This should be the number one story. I doubt. I wonder if it's even trending on Twitter. Is this the big story on Twitter right now? Is it? I don't know. Can you see if it's actually technically trending? And now you see, now I can't find the damned original tweets. Where the hell are they? Oh, gosh, this is a mess. These people are blowing it. They've got the most dynamite story in the world, and they're blowing it. Well, it's up to us, all of us, to augment this stuff and to understand it and to get it out there and to demand accountability. Uh, sorry. Sorry for this. Let's just see. Ay, 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 ay. Okay. Um, going back. Sorry. Uh, Naval- okay. People all over the world. Navalny doesn't like it. The guy in Russia. 42. From the outset, our goal in investigating this story was to discover and document the steps leading up to the banning of Trump and to put that choice into context. 43. Ultimately, the concerns about Twitter's efforts to censor news about Hunter Biden's laptop, blacklist disfavored views, and ban a president aren't about the past choices of executives in a social media company. They're about the power of a handful of people at a private company to influence the public discourse and democracy. This report was signed by, okay, and then she's done. Pretty good. Well, quite frankly, a crummy presentation, but pretty good. I'm glad they're out there. This is just one component, but this was the 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 
This is a pretty big piece of it. Thank you to Barry Weiss. Thank you to Matt Taibbi. Thank you to Dr. Schellenberger. Thank you to, the let's see here, Snoozy Weiss, whoever that is. These are all Nellie Bowles. And, of course, Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Now, that's all interesting what happened today. But remember the FBI. The FBI! And they did it not only with Twitter. They did it with Facebook and other big uh, tech companies. Here's Mark Zuckerberg, by the way, admitting it. The only reason why... Well, Mark Zuckerberg is still in charge of Facebook. and We don't have a conservative free speech guy in there. What the hell that place would tell us. They cut 22. Here's Mark Zuckerberg kind of trying to dodge the issue about uh, whether or not he was colluding with the FBI before the election. Cut 22. The background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, uh, some some folks on our team. It was like, hey, um, just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was the, we we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. Just kind of thought, hey, look, if, if the FBI, which you know, I still view as a legitimate institution in this country, it's like very professional. You see how he's giving he's hiding behind the FBI how the FBI, their their reputation that we basically took for granted for too long because the men and women of law enforcement and all that stuff, right? And they gave gave them cover on this. Keep going with that if you don't mind. Enforcement. They come to us and tell us that we need to be on guard about something, then I want to take that seriously. Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story? Double talk, watch. I, I, no, I, I don't remember if it was that specifically. But Stop! It, was, it basically fit the... Uh, 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 no, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> I could, uh, I don't remember. Uh, no, uh, uh, I, I don't remember. Uh, I don't, I don't remember if it was specifically, but it was general, general. Keep going. If final part. Oh, that's it. Uh, no, uh, uh, I don't remember. Uh, it, uh, uh, they did it. They did it. And we got to get it back. We got to get this country back from these big tech guys. Who's a good antitrust lawyer? Do we know any good antitrust lawyers? Let's get one on the phone. We got to get one on the phone and see how much they charge and see if we not maybe just this antitrust. That's a big thing. Let me look up antitrust. Antitrust is when a company gets way too big and it rivals a country and you got to break it up because, well, you can't have a functioning democracy if the if a company which is unaccountable to the people antitrust has that kind of power. Let's see here. What does an antitrust law do? Most states have antitrust laws, and so does the federal government. Essentially, these laws prohibit business practices that unreasonably deprive consumers of the benefits of competition, resulting in higher prices for inferior products and services. Yeah, but what about... uh, That's inadequate. What is antitrust? Antitrust refers to the regulation of the concentration of economic power, particularly in regard to monopolies and other anti-competitive practices. Antitrust laws exist as both federal statutes and state statutes. Uh, Essentially, these laws prohibit businesses. Yeah, yeah, we already did that. I don't know. Is this going to help us or what? Hey, Susan, you've been standing by for a while. Welcome. What's going on? What do you think of all this stuff? Well, listen, um, I don't want to even waste one breath on the um, dysfunctional uh, people like Markle and, and Harry. Uh, but so 
this is such a crisis. Now, I spoke to you a few weeks ago about the agent that was uh, the director of the field office in Detroit during the botched um, um, kidnapping situation with the governor. Okay, the trial is going on right now. Uh, And then he was transferred. Now, that's a plum job, the director of the Washington, D.C. I I, got to say, Susan, I know, but Susan, we're getting way too granular here. I mean, the FBI is totally compromised. We know they're operating politically. We know it. We know it. We know they're operating to harm Trump and to support Biden. We know that they're exaggerating January 6th. Uh, So, you know, whether, you know, Agent Joe Blow goes from here to there and everywhere, it's not to me. It's not significant anymore because the, the, we know we we see the whole picture, and it's terrifying. By the way, but that's why I'm less interested in this guy, in this specific guy. I I don't know. I just I, what? No, he's not in the FBI anymore. I believe that and there's a lot of whistleblowers. And that you know um, what the whistleblowers are give, being given the runaround too. They're getting letters. We've looked into your allegations, and we find no. You know, we're, we're we're dropping the matter here, and all that kind of stuff. So maybe when the Republicans get in, but uh, this one guy. It's not about this one guy. It's about systemic institutional practices. It's not. It's bigger than the one guy. Does that make sense? Well, January sixth has is so connected. You you know about. <sighs> Ashley, about I know um, that I know that I know that you make it sound like I don't know this. I know that. But I mean, like what? So I want. All right. What are you going to do about it? The main people that he was maybe one of the one people that I mean, they're implicated. The FBI is Susan, Susan, the whole damned agency. Director Ray is implicated. Director Ray was on Capitol Hill and refused to say that there were no people, FBI agents dressed as Trump supporters undercover that day. I mean. It is we we're already there. You're building the case. We already we have the case. What do we do about it now? Anyway, listen, I got to run. I'll be back. Thank you. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. (laughs) You know who this Alex Stein guy is? He's pretty wild. I don't agree with him on all the issues, but some of them, I mean, how can you argue with him? He doesn't think kids should be molested. I think he's right on that. Uh, and he just, he's hes very, very funny, but he's also very smart, and he confronts people. What's his beef with Dave Portnoy? I just saw this video. He goes into Barstool Sports headquarters with a camera with some crazy guy with no shirt on. <laughs> all hell breaks out. Uh, I can't tell. It's total pandemonium. I think... Alex Stein goes to uh, Barstool Sports because Dave Portnoy made fun of Tucker Carlson. Is that is that what happened? And you better not mess with Tucker. Is that could it just be that? That doesn't seem, quite frankly, worthwhile. I mean, Tucker's gonna, you know, Tucker Tucker's gonna say stuff. He's gonna draw fire. That's okay. I don't think you show up at somebody's work and make a big deal. But what is there more to it? I don't know. 
and now everyone's pushing him. <laughs> and he just rolls with it. But the thing that I like about Alex Stein is there is a conviction and a righteous indignation, moral indignation about atrocities and things that are horrible. And he can switch into that like that. He can he can go there. You know, at first it looks like, what the hell is this? Some sort of comic stunt. And then I saw, I forgot who challenged him, but boy, this he's really good on the issues too. All right. So the thing on Twitter is over. And I was right. It didn't even trend. It didn't even break Twitter's own. You can tell that Twitter is back in the hands of like, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm surprised. I'm surprised and disappointed. How do we make this? How do we? How do we make this into something? I don't know. Uh, Bob in Long Island, hello. Any ideas? What's going on, man? Yes, uh, Greg, big uh, fan of yours. I just wonder, with all this information coming out, how the the public has been kept in the dark about reality, you know, not knowing about the Hunter Biden tape and everything. And now that we're seeing that that it was it was a collusion, it was an effort to to blind the the, uh, the public. Isn't there aren't there grounds for nullification of the elections because you don't have an informed public, you don't have information that would disqualify Biden and his family? Well, it's listen, uh, nullification of the election that is uh, there's no procedure for that. However, I think it's okay to talk about it, to wonder about it. If you find evidence of just overwhelming evidence of cheating, and I think, quite frankly, we have that at this point, you can have that discussion. Not everybody agrees, but I think we're there. Uh, you know, how do you remedy that? And I think that's what Trump was talking about, because the remedy is not in the Constitution. What if everybody agreed to a new election? What if everybody agreed to that? Would that be unconstitutional? I don't know. Lots of people disagree about what the Constitution means, by the way. We have five to four decisions all the time. I don't think you can nullify it, but uh, man, man, oh, man, oh, man. I thought it was a free country. I guess not. I'll be back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, this time next month, I'll be on my book tour. Uh, wow, kind of getting uh, excited, a little bit nervous about it. Uh, my book, uh, Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement, debuts on January 10th. It will be available everywhere. Um, you can pre-order it right now, and that would be a huge help, a huge help. Let me see here. Uh, I'm going to read about it. Uh, during COVID. I'm going to read a little bit, okay? From the book. Again, Justice for All by Greg Kelly. You can go to uh, Amazon. You can go to your local bookstore and say, I want that book by Greg Kelly. You better get it for me. Uh, Be nice about it. They'll get it for you. Lawlessness pervaded the city, along with a gnawing suspicion that the police and city government weren't invested in protecting the citizenry. New York, along with many other cities in America, appeared to be on a precipice. In the 80s and early 90s, American cities were beset by a wave of homicide and violent crime associated with the emergence of crack cocaine. Crack, easy to prepare and convenient to sell in small rocks, offered a quick, intense hit when smoked. Though crack is chemically the same substance as powdered cocaine, selling it in small, cheap doses made its use and spread prevalent in low-income urban areas by the mid-'80s. The control of local markets, sometimes as small as one or two city blocks, led to intense 
competition between rival gangs. Between 1985 and 1993, the nation's murder rate rose dramatically from 8 per 100,000 to about 10 per 100,000. That is a huge, huge increase. Virtually all this increase was driven by murders of young black males by other young black males. The murder rate for black males aged 14 to 17 increased 250%, and the rate for their older brothers went up approximately double. During the same period, the homicide rate for whites stayed the same. By 1993, according to the U.S. Department of Justice, black men under the age of 24, while amounting to only 1% of the population, committed 35% of all murders. The rise in murder and other violent crime during this period was caused by drugs. Gangs fought bloody wars over turf, and addicts committed crime in order to feed their addiction. At the peak of the crack epidemic, close to 75% of those murders were drug-related. Can you imagine anybody else speaking this bluntly about race and crime? Very few. Uh, Sheriff Dave Clark, Rudy Giuliani, Officer Tatum, uh, Dan Bongino, uh, you know, guys like that. But anyway, I'm very proud of the book. I'm very, very proud of it. It was hard to pull off, uh, but I'm glad it uh, it's out there. Well, it will soon be out there. And uh, here, listen to this if you don't mind. Let's see here. Give me a moment. Some people on the left promote the myth that the black family has always been matriarchally focused, perhaps owing its roots to West African family structure, meaning the mom is in charge. Others suggest that the legacy of slavery disrupted black patterns of family formation. Talking about the um, very unfortunate shortage of black fathers out there. Okay. And some do blame that this is all comes back to slavery. But these are myths, I write. The great economist Thomas Sowell has shown that black marriage rates were high through slavery and rose through the Civil War and were comparable to, if not higher, than white marriage rates through the first half of the 20th century. Having children out of wedlock was no more acceptable in the black community than it was among whites. The vast majority of black children before the 1960s grew up in two-parent households. Out-of-wedlock births in 1946 comprised 3% of all babies born. By 1959, that number had risen to 8%. In 2010, the rate was 45% citywide. And in the Bronx, 70% of births were to single mothers. Today, three-quarters of all black children nationwide are born out of wedlock. The United States leads the world in single-parent households. Now, I saw that TV show, Alice. Uh, I... I know people who grew up in single-parent homes, and they turned out great. But there are increased risk factors. You don't have to take it from me. You can listen to Barack Obama. We've seen the statistics. Growing up with one parent, everything seems to be at a higher risk. The risk of incarceration, the risk of drug use, the risk of uh, dropping out of school. It's data. It's science, okay? Trust the science. Anyway, um one other thing from this book. When abortion was made legal in America, many people assumed that illegitimate births would decline. But the opposite happened. 
because the tradition of the shotgun marriage disappeared. It used to be that people were socially expected to get married if the woman got pregnant. But after the Supreme Court's ruling in Roe v. Wade in 1973, the sense that men bear equal responsibility for raising kids faded away. Now that Roe has been overturned, it's an open question as to how men and women will respond to the new environment in states that outlaw abortion. And again, I'm not trying to shame anyone. There are women who have kids without being married to their fathers. But women for whom this scenario works usually have resources, have children later in life, and the dads are involved in the kids' lives to some extent. It's one thing if you already have a college degree and a career and can afford to hire nannies and you have a baby at age 40. It's totally different if you are 17, dropped out of high school, the baby's father is out of the picture or unreliable, and you live with your mother or grandmother. Creating incentives for women to have babies out of wedlock sent the African-American community into a spiral of dysfunction. Growing up without a father, despite what some elite feminists insist, is terrible for children, especially boys. Generations of fathers, I'm sorry, generations of fatherless families have created men who lack proper role models, have not developed internal structures of discipline, and lack motivation to succeed in the normal channels of life. Now, again, I'll point out there are many, many, many exceptions, but this is an added, added, this is a problem. There is research that strongly suggests that the increase in out-of-wedlock births causes increased crime rates 20 years later. In any case, we don't need sociologists to explain that two-parent families provide better outcomes, both financially and personally, for kids. I think that's a very needed, I think that's needed in the, in the national conversation, and it's not happening. Until now, uh, it's been a while. So that book, by me, Justice for All, How the Woke Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement, available wherever books are sold on pre-order, and January 10th uh, is the big day, Tuesday, January 10th, and you can you can have it in your hot little hands, as uh, sweet Jimmy Clay once told me. He's a guy I went to flight school with. My hot little hands. He was, he was a piece of work. All right. What else? Where do we stand now? Uh, oh, I want to read this, actually, one more thing by the great Miranda Devine. You guys know who she is. She writes for the New York Post, utterly brilliant, a real truth teller. Uh, hmm, sorry. Ooh, and hopefully we'll have accountability for those silly, um, those silly intel executives who gave the go-ahead for Joe Biden to, excuse me, say it was all right to, lie about the laptop. Remember that? Those Intel executives who came forward and signed that dumb thing? All right, here we go. The media's silence on the Twitter files is shameful. Here we go. Miranda Devine, amazing uh, journalist. Whatever happened to all the news that's fit to print and democracy dies in darkness, the respective mottos of the two most influential papers in the country, the New York Times and the Washington Post. She writes in the New York Post, by the way. Every morning, these august organs set the narrative for newsrooms across the country. And yet, time and again, we see them ignore stories that don't suit their own agenda as propaganda purveyors for the Democrat Party and the security state. This has been obvious in their non-coverage of Elon Musk's Twitter files. Four batches over 10 days so far, which have revealed a chilling censorship regime at the social media giant, which no doubt is replicated across big tech, including at Facebook and Google. We see evidence of what we long suspected. Despite Twitter, uh, despite Twitter former CEO Jack 
Dorsey's lies to Congress, conservatives and medical professionals were silenced as part of a crackdown on effective dissent against the government. From the post Hunter Biden laptop stories and criticism of the Biden administration's botched Afghanistan withdrawal to Dr. Anthony Fauci's bogus edicts on masks, lockdowns and the origins of covid censorship has been the order of the day. That should be the story, a story of great interest to journalists at The Times and The Washington Post. Right. Of course, it should be. Oh, by the way, I've been a victim of this. I'll tell you more about that later. Threat to democracy. If anything is an existential threat to democracy, it is big tech's assault on free speech in service to one side of politics and under the instruction of intelligence operatives determined to rig elections against recalcitrant Republicans. In fact, the lead agency tasked with election security, the FBI, is revealed as a prime culprit. Wow. The best description for what the Times and Washington Post are doing is... A German word for death by silence, a tactic to kill ideas or news stories by ignoring them. Apart from defending Twitter's 2020 decision to censor the post, the Times has not covered the revelations of the past 10 days, save a couple of stories smearing Twitter's freedom-minded new owner, Elon Musk. He sounds a lot like a Republican and sometimes a lot like Donald Trump, the Times opined, delivering the worst possible insult in the eyes of its 6.3 million subscribers. While it studiously ignores the Twitter files, the time has given ample space to Musk's critics, including amplifying laughably bogus data from the propagandists at the Anti-Defamation League of an unprecedented rise in hate speech on the platform, promptly scotched by Musk. The so-called paper of record also talked up attempts by still-in-favor Facebook to build a rival platform to Twitter. Uh, over at the Washington Post, resident disinformation expert Taylor Lorenz went on TV to falsely claim that Elon Musk had laid off the staff who monitored child exploitation material. The opposite is the case. On taking over Twitter, Musk declared his number one priority was to remove such material and in two weeks did more to cleanse Twitter of child abuse content than previous management had done in a decade. Wow. The Washington Post also reported that Musk was being investigated by San Francisco authorities for creating makeshift bedrooms at Twitter headquarters for employees to sleep in, <coughs> Excuse me, which he denied. It was the same ignore and smear game across the lefty media sphere. Old news was how the Atlantic dismissed the Twitter files. Didn't we uh, sit through two years of January 6th hearings where they said the same thing again and again and again? Old news, huh? Hmm. Hmm. NBC, CBS, and ABC devoted a total of zero minutes to the Twitter files, according to Fox News. NBC's disinformation reporter, Ben Collins, contribution was to tweet a yawn emoji. Yes, it's a big yawn that so many former FBI and CIA officials were embedded in senior management roles at Twitter and Facebook, and not just the FBI's top lawyer and Russia Gate quarterback, James Baker. Uh, at least a dozen others joined after Trump won the 2016 election. It's a big yawn to see evidence that Twitter became a propaganda arm of the Democrat Party and federal government agencies and that the FBI has been coercing social media companies to violate the First Amendment and interfere with elections. Musk, a longtime Democratic voter, at least is getting a crash course in media malfeasance. Sunday morning, he threw another cat among the pigeons. My pronouns are prosecute Fauci. The incendiary tweet amassed 800,000 likes in the next 10 hours. 
when YouTuber Viva Free, a, ca- a Canadian lawyer, elaborated on the point, Fauci lied under oath, engaged in gain-of-function research in a Chinese lab, jeopardized the entire planet, and arguably contributed to the deaths of thousands of people. Musk replied, correct. His Fauci diss drew immediate condemnation from deep state characters like former CIA director John Brennan, a proven liar and confessed communist. That's true, by the way. That boy went to Fordham University as well from New Jersey. John Brennan, one hateful, corrupt bastard. Dr. Fauci is a national hero who will be remembered for generations to come for his innate goodness and many contributions to public. Shut up. Get back to uh, not protecting America and bringing on the calamity in Afghanistan. See that part, by the way, we couldn't even talk about Afghanistan. Considering Brennan, along with 50 fellow dishonest former intel officials, signed the lying letter that candidate Joe Biden used to get off the hook in the final 2020 presidential debate, falsely claiming Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation, is impromptu. It's not exactly helpful to Fauci, the beagle killer. (laughs) But Brennan and the rest of the dirty 51 will find themselves in front of the new Republican-controlled House soon enough, having to account under oath for their influence in the 2020 election. This time, you can bet they won't get away with lying. Musk also foreshadowed the Twitter files on Fauci and COVID, the suppression of scientific information, and the silencing of eminent doctors such as Dr. J. Bachacharya, architect of the Great Barrington Declaration. Now things get spicy, Musk tweeted. He describes Twitter as having been, all right, Twitter is both a social media company and a crime scene, he says. Oh, wow. Google, too. Google's all involved in this as well. Well, the great Miranda Devine, everybody. She writes for the New York Post, and she's totally brilliant, totally honest, and totally on our side, and I love it. I haven't done much many calls uh, this, uh, this show because of the Twitter situation. Uh, give me a call now, and I'll talk to you at the after the break. Bye-bye. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, hello, Jim. Mike in Wayne, New Jersey. Oh, sorry. Wait a second. Sorry about that. First, there's going to be a radiothon. Isn't every day a radiothon when you think about it? Uh, but it's going to be um, it's going to be about Tunnel to Towers. Great people. I ran in the Tunnel to Towers uh, uh, race this year. Fun run this Thursday, December fifteenth. Is that wait? Yeah. Wow. Wow. The month is almost over. Gee whiz. Thursday, December 15th, from 6 in the morning to noon, help us raise money for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation Season of Hope. All the money raised will bring hope to America's military and first responder heroes and their families this holiday season. Uh, you can give right now, by the way, if you like, t2t.gregkellyshow.com, t2t.gregkellyshow.com. i got to get on that myself. All right, Mike in Wayne, yes. Hello? You're on the radio. Trace that call. He said a dirty word. I heard him say a dirty word. Thank you. We have that seven-second delay. Very nasty. Gino in Lido Beach. Hello. How you doing? Uh, how you doing? Uh, you're funny. Uh, well, yeah, I, I don't. I never heard it quite like that, like one consonant or one syllable. Anyway, Gino, you see here we're off to I a want- bad start. What's up? Well, guess you're stepping on my words, kid. You're stepping on my... Have a good day, okay? Uh, st- all right, all right. Come on. Come on, Gino. Don't be like that. I'm sorry. Come on. 
Oh, man, I was a little bit fresh. I was definitely a little bit fresh. Um, Barbara, she likes me. She's in Huntington. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Greg. Um, listening to what you're talking about, what's coming out with the FBI and the government colluding to keep the facts from the American people, I wanted to share with you a quote from Samuel Adams who said, if virtue and knowledge are diffused among the people, they will never be enslaved. If virtue and knowledge, oh, hold on a second. If virtue and knowledge are diffused among the people, diffused among the people, they will never be enslaved. Samuel Adams. Wow, how is it that he's known more for the beer than for all these brilliant sayings? <laughs> well, if you read about Samuel Adams, and there's a wonderful website. I read Samuel about him every Adams time. Returns. I see the, uh, the the label. I'm sorry. What's the website? Yeah. If you go to SamuelAdamsReturns.com, there are wonderful, wonderful – there's a man who does a wonderful imitation of Samuel Adams, studied him for years, and comments in Samuel Adams' voice on what's going on now. Just give me that that, that quote one more time. In virtue, what? If knowledge and virtue are diffused among the people, they will never be – enslaved well let's face it and what do we have right now what what what's more powerful about that is virtue is not obviously being diffused very much right now and knowledge is being kept from the people so what happens what results slavery it's the reverse or the converse or one of those the inverse you know what i mean about the verse yes yes but when you think about virtue we do have now a new government virtue that you must approve what the government approves. And if not, you will be excommunicated from the government church. When you are canceled, that's the equivalent of being excommunicated. Yeah, I know. Wow. I like that a lot, Barbara. And, of course, we love you. Thank you with these amazing pearls of wisdom from our rich history. Good stuff, Barbara. Hey, Terry's been on the phone for a long time. He's in Farmingdale. Yes, Terry. Hey, Greg. How are you today? Nice Good. to talk to you. Uh, yeah, calling about what you said a while back, you were interested in one of your aspirations to become an expert in the Bible. I have something that might help you. It's Les Feldick. It's called Through the Bible with Les Feldick. Life-changing. You'll love it. Look Les, into it. Please. How do you say his last name? F-E-L-D-I-C-K. Les Feldick. Thank you, Terry, very much. Thank you to Carmine. He's also my Bible buddy out there. Gino, no hard feelings. Call back another time. Sorry we got off on the wrong foot. And uh, I'll see you tonight, Newsmax, at 10. Many thanks. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.